You're listening to the Immortal Icons of Dance podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Johnson. For the first interview of this podcast, I really wanted to bring in someone who could talk about their experience working with one of my favorite historical dance figures, George Balanchine. I could talk about Balanchine for hours, but I'll sum him up in just a few bullet points. I'll try to make it quick. Balanchine is one of the most important choreographers of the 20th century, and the catalyst for what became a uniquely American style of ballet. He was born in 1904 in St. Petersburg, Russia, where he attended the Imperial Ballet School from the ages of 9 to 17. After graduating, he was a member of the Mariinsky Ballet for a few years before defecting from what was then the Soviet Union. He ended up in Paris, where he worked with Sergei Diaghilev's Ballet Russe for four years as a choreographer. Upon invitation from Lincoln Kirstein, Balanchine moved to America to co-found the School of American Ballet in 1934. After training up a generation of dancers, in 1948, the men co-founded the New York City Ballet, which begins celebrating its 75th anniversary this week. For 35 years, until his death in 1983, Balanchine led the New York City Ballet as artistic director and visionary. His ballets broke barriers and challenged people's perceptions of classical ballet. Some dubbed his style neoclassical. In his lifetime, he choreographed 465 works, ranging from Hollywood musicals to Broadway musicals, ballets, and even the circus. Those that danced for him often say that they knew they were in the presence of a genius. Today we get to hear from one of his dancers, Susan Pilar. She began attending the School of American Ballet when she was 10 years old, and at the age of 15 she was invited by Balanchine to join the New York City Ballet. She enjoyed a 16-year career in the company where she became a soloist, and after retiring from the company, she began teaching at the School of American Ballet in 1986. For 37 years, Susie has shaped dancers the way that Balanchine shaped her. She has devoted her life to his legacy. In fact, about 99% of the current roster of dancers in City Ballet have been a student of Susie's at some point. That's quite an impact. I would like to note that this interview was recorded on July 13th, 2023. Since the recording of this episode, Susie is no longer on faculty at the School of American Ballet, but she has just staged the Balanchine Ballet Bourree Fantasque for the New York City Ballet's 75th anniversary season. The season opened on September 19th, and you can catch Bourree Fantasque on stage September 29th, 30th, and October 1st. I hope to see you at the theater, and I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. All right. Today on the podcast, we have Susan Pilar here to talk with us about her experiences with George Balanchine. Uh, so I want to start off by asking, could you just give us a brief timeline of your dance career, starting from SAB to the company and back to SAB again? Yes, I can. So I, I came to SAB, I think, in 1958. And I came because... I was studying at a school with Melissa Hayden. She had a school in my town in Long Island. And she and Jaw came and did some uh, demonstration at our local temple or something. And just, I'd never seen anything like that before. I was at, you know, what we used to call Dottie Dinkle's Ballet School, <laughs> where they had tap, toe tap, jazz, everything. 
And um, I was just like, oh my God, I have to go to that school. She was, lo and behold, she was opening school in my town. So I, um, my mother said, okay, even though we were paid up at the Dottie Dinkle School, and we went. And the school, so I went there from like eight to 10. And uh, Melissa, she taught maybe once a month, but they, she had amazing teachers like uh, Frank Hobie, who was in the New York City Valley, and his wife, Ruthanna Boris, taught, and Michael Mall, who also. I think it was more in ABT, but they were wonderful teachers, and she would come. And then it went bankrupt. It, you know, there weren't too many little girls out there that cared about it as much as I did, I guess. So Melissa took me by the hand and deposited me here to my teacher, Madame Tchaikovsky. I didn't audition or anything. Wow. And it was just, you know, just the most fortuitous um you know, events that happened, you know, luck is, you know, a big part of everything. Mm -hmm. And that was lucky for me. And so I came in fourth division in 58. And I did all the, um, I, I say all the, there were two children's ballets. Then. <laughs> there were two, there was Nutcracker. And then there was another one, uh, a ballet called Medea by Swedish uh, choreographer Bridget Kuhlberg, and um, there were only two kids in it, and my um, Delia Peters, who was in my class, uh, and I were the two children that she kid, and it was Melissa, and she killed us on stage, and it was really something. So, so I did that, and then I did the Nutcracker, I did Party Scene and Polchanel, and uh, then I did hoops for two years. And in those days, we had, um, there were big angels. Like the Spanish guys didn't bring the table in. The angels did. Oh. And, you know, we, and, um, and we played the instruments. And that was, so that was the last thing I did in Nutcracker. And then um, when I was 15, I got into the company. It was so crazy. I had no idea. I took the train, the Long Island Railroad, um, my mother drove me when I was young, but then I took the train from uh, Cedarhurst, Long Island, uh, ever after school. But because there were there were uh, the late classes, you know, there weren't that many. I mean, I took four classes a week, and I would get home late and do my homework, and you know. So then, when I was fifteen in my sophomore year. There was a thing called special class, and um, people were picked. And Madame Dabrowska, who was a beautiful, wonderful teacher, one of Mr. B's ballerinas from the Ballet Russe, taught that class uh, every day. And so I got picked for that, and it meant I had to change schools, and it meant I had to uh, go to professional children's schools. So I, I had to take morning classes, and so we did. It was a big, big change, and um, but I took the train at seven thirty in the morning and went to PCS and then to school, and then so that so that was September, and in January of that year, somehow I was, <laughs> Mr. B came to class one day, and um, it was Andre Glesky. He liked me because I could beat well, and and Mr. B came. At the old school, there was, a, it's like where Barnes & Noble is now, and there was big platform. So you walked up the stairs to the school, 
and um, and then you walked down into the studios because the studios were on like what the second floor of Barnes and Noble mm -hmm. would have been. Is this over on Madison? No, this no, is no, the no. one. No, no, the Madison School okay. I wasn't at. Okay. That was the first school. Mm -hmm. This school, so this is 1950. Well, this year we're talking about is 1963. Okay. So Mr. B came in and then he walked down the steps and sat and somehow Mr. Glavsky put me right in front of him and he gave like 16 archasis and that's six beats. Mm -hmm. And I could do them really well. And so that was that. And then we went, <laughs> I tell this story all the time, but it's, it's so funny because there had been girls that uh, were apprentices in Nutcracker. And, you know, I wasn't, a, I was barely at the school for more than four classes a week. And we went to PCS after morning class, and then we'd go back for afternoon class. So we went to PCS and they had a cafeteria there. We were having lunch and everybody was, so Mr. B had taken the girls who were apprentices. He took them into the company. And so was, congratulations to them. Oh, congratulations to you. And oh, that's so great. And then somebody said to me, yes, and you're, congratulations to you, you're in the company. And I said, no, not, what are you talking about? No. I, I just got to morning classes. I, that can't be right. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the school and I went to um, Mrs. Glaboff, who was the secretary at that time. And I said, I, somebody told me I was in the company. She said, oh, yes, Mr. Valentin would like you to join the company. It wasn't even an apprenticeship. Wow. And so, I mean, you know, all this happened before I even knew, like, barely what anybody was, who anybody was. Mm -hmm. So, but, you know. It was so great. I mean, and lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first time that you saw Balanchine? What was the impression? Did you understand what his I don't think stature so. was? Uh, no, because actually, I think the first time I saw him when really was when I was in the Nutcracker, and um, we used to. And mind you. Um, the company was still at city center until 64. So, um, so in 58 uh, and 59, they were at city center. And so we would rehearse the Nutcracker on the sixth floor of city center. And I know I've been there recently for other things, but it looks different. But what it was then was just a long, not that uh, deep, but a very long room with a wood floor and no bars or mirrors or anything like that. And we would rehearse uh, Nutcracker there, and we had, uh, and the, we would audition there, and also rehearse there. With, and um, so it was like Janet Reed and Vita Brown were the ballet mistresses. So then, when we were on stage, you know, they mostly dealt with us. They didn't deal that much with Mr. B. Mm -hmm. And I think um, so. I, you know. I was in the Nutcracker, yay. <laughs> it was fun. My mother and I would come in and, from Long Island and stay at a hotel near city center because there were four shows on the weekend, you know, and not go up and back. And, you know, it was, a, it was a real adventure. And also, it was so much fun, you know, be there and on dance. Yeah. I was dancing on the stage, and uh, it was great. So I wasn't that aware. I think the first time I became so really aware of Balancing. See, like I said, when I got when I got into the special class, 
everybody, you know, was very aware of him because these girls all wanted to be in the company and I was a little younger. And so when he would come in and watch from this balcony area that looked over the studio, you know, they were all like totally fatutzed. And I, I was like, <laughs> I, oh, that's Mr. Balanchine, maybe. I, it wasn't a big deal for me hmm. then. I wonder if I've heard many times that when people attend auditions, when they're not intent on getting the role, when they're just free and having fun and enjoying it, that that's when they end up booking. I wonder if that had anything to do with, you know, you're not you know trying what? so hard to impress. You're just enjoying dancing and that that's what came through. The thing about Balanchine is, and in those days, I mean, and clearly I'm not getting, trying to get into his mind at all, <laughs> but I know from the people that were around us, he had a clear view of what he either wanted or needed, you know? Like, if he saw me that day, he thought he could do something with me. It wasn't about how relaxed or not relaxed I was. And I think that it was that way with a lot of my friends. Um, the company was much smaller then, too, you know? And, uh, you know, you filled a need, but he saw some talent, obviously, something, so. So once you were taken into the company, is that the first time that you began having regular class with Mr. No. Um Yes and no. I'll tell you, I'm having trouble remembering because, because we didn't have um, the theater and the class. I remember when I was rehearsing, we were still taking class up at the school. Maybe sometimes he taught, and maybe sometimes we were just taking advanced class at the school. I can't remember exactly, but, you know, yeah, we had class with him. And then there were all those people talk about at the seminars when he used to bring um, teachers in from all over the country because he wanted to share. He would say to us when he took us into the company, you know, kiddingly, you know, where did you study, dear? Because, but he knew perfectly well where we studied. We studied here and he loved the teachers here. He loved them. But he was moving onward from, you know, the basic. There's certain things he wanted to see and how he wanted things to look. And it was a constant, um, people call it like a laboratory in a way. And uh, so like the seminars were like two hours, you know, because you, there's a really, there's a technique, there's a style, but there's a technique in the class. And the best way, the way that the ballets look the best is when people have this technique. And sometimes if you go stage things, other places, you, I would request to teach mm -hmm. because it's really kind of essential. Because it's not just, you know, a generic and arabesque. It's a balancing looking arabesque. So, yeah. So we, we did have class them a lot. And then... Once we moved to State Theater, that was 64. You know, we had class every day with him. And sometimes he'd teach on Mondays, and a whole bunch of us would go. I always say, you know, we're exhausted, but I, I didn't want to miss anything. Did you have any favorite Balanchine-isms, the, the phrases he would say in class? Oh, there's a million of them. Oh, my God. So many, you know. What are you saving for, dear? A little more effort, dear. Um, you know, you have to put the fire under the donkey to make it move. <laughs> Man is lazy. He doesn't want to move. You have to push push yourself. And 
just the, the energy and also the, um, you know, the, a lot of the analogies are hilarious. And so that's another reason I didn't want to miss the class, you know, because he was so funny in a way and mm -hmm. clever and besides everything else, you know. So um, he would say, um, oftentimes he would say, you know, we're entertaining. This is show business, dear. It's show business. It's for the public. It's not, you know, how you feel, or, you know, not one time. Oh, I know. He would say, this is my favorite, one of the favorite. Uh, he would say, you know, it's uh, suffering. It's not days of our lives, <laughs> you know? And so, I mean, things like that just every minute. Yeah. And it's, a, it's really unlike anything that you can describe to people, but you can. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be right back. Be sure to visit the show notes of this episode to find additional resources. You'll find links to performance videos, interviews, and books that will elaborate on the topics covered today. During your years in the company, did you have a favorite Balanchine role or ballet to perform? Oh, I just, I loved I don't think there's a balancing ballet that I didn't love to perform. <laughs> Let's put it that way, uh -huh. you know? So favorites, you know, I, uh, Serenade was one of the first things I did when I joined at City Center, and I did the Russian dance, and it's not the lead, but, and just the music and I, uh, you know, just wherever I am, you hear that intro, and you just get goosebumps. So, so I did the uh, the Russian girl lead in Serenade. That was clearly a favorite. And, um, you know, he did, he choreographed so many ballets on my generation, on me and my friends. Yeah. And it's so special to us just to be, you know, talk about in the room where it happened. Right. I mean, it's unreal. Because he, you know, and when I was very young, you know, I didn't get how, like, this is genius. This is unbelievable. I was just trying to do my steps, you know. But um, as you get older, and then also when you watch things that you're not in, well, also when you start to stage ballets, that's when you really get the appreciation for it. Mm -hmm. It's like a miracle. Oh, my God. You know, and you Finally see... The, getting the bird's eye view of it. Yeah, and you see the parts that you weren't in and you learn to teach the parts that you weren't in. And then you see how the whole thing, and see you walk into the room, I always say the same thing. And he could assimilate, of course I wasn't thinking that way at 16, but he could assimilate the notes on the page and the people and make like a building, you know what I mean? It's like a painting, but the architecture of it, it was like a, you know, an architect right. and the, just that the notes on the page to him made, he saw that and he, he could just go do that. Mm -hmm. And he knew the score so well because he was such a consummate musician. So, and he had the score in his head when he came in. You know, people say that, um, oh, they, people plan things. He never planned anything, but he had an idea. Well, I could use, you know, seven people in this. And count it in five at home, <laughs> something like that. But uh, 
Yeah, I mean, um, where did we start this question? This question was <laughs> roles that you are fond of, ones oh, yeah. that were special so, to you. So, I mean, yeah, I would say Sarah not the most, mm -hmm. but everything, like, you know, when he did Who Cares? And so I, I was one of the five couples, this wonderful dance. And um, I, I knew that my mother had, was a band singer in the 40s. Oh, really? And um, I don't know that Mr. B knew that. But so I, you know, I knew the words to every one of those songs. Yeah. And um, it, it, the ballad is so great. I mean, when you see the scope of the different things, you look at Four Temperaments, it's 1947. And it's more neoclassic modern than, I mean, because man is a genius, than, you know, anything you see today that is supposed to be filled that thing. So, I mean, there is nothing old fashioned ever about what he did, even because also because of the way we move. Yeah. See, a swan like doesn't look like swan like in England, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, the Royal Ballet. Or, so there's that too, but like there's four temperaments and then there's, you know, um, you know, the classical ballads and like Union Jack. I mean, that's the most mind blowing thing I think I ever saw. I mean, he did it on us. I was in it. But, but when you saw the whole thing, and also how interesting how he was so influenced by um, his time in Hollywood. Yeah. Very. And the way people move, that's it was who cares, you know, Fred and Ginger. Mm -hmm. And um, something like Concerto Barocco, which they did a lot. Um, you know, all the syncopations and everything. He was so enamored of Harlem and, you know, in the time of, um, well, jazz and, you know, syncopation. Yeah. And, and he used to say to us about Broco, you know, it's a jazzy stuff, dear. <laughs> it's a jazzy stuff, Pinto Broco. And so that's how we did it, you know, mcha, 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 ta, ta, like that. Yeah. So uh, the different styles and just, uh, just, and the interests that he had, you know. So. What was the highest compliment he ever paid you? And maybe it was in words, but maybe it was a role or maybe it was just a look in his eye. Mm -hmm. I guess the highest compliment he ever paid me is when he promoted me to results. Mm -hmm. And you know, after that, I did some more parts and stuff like that. So I, I would say it would be that. You know, he wasn't, you know, if you got a good, <laughs> that was major. Yeah. You know, he, he wasn't interested, you know, he just, he wasn't interested in coddling people or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But supportive in, just his energy of how he was about you while you were rehearsing, when you were dancing, yeah. you know. If he didn't like it, you would know. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't just let things go. Right. Yeah. Was there ever a time working or maybe even when you began teaching at the school, was there ever a time where he challenged you with 
preserver, a moment of friction where you learned from that experience. You go, oh, I understand what was going you know on. What right I, now. I, it's weird. I actually didn't. And I wish if, if there had been, um, see, we didn't videotape until 1982. If I had seen myself in all those years, I would know what he wanted from me that I wasn't doing a little bit. Because to me, it seemed like, you know, and, and, and certain times of my career, I was, you know, but not enough. I could have, I could have, I could have gotten it if I had seen myself and not how I felt right. about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So that's unfortunate. I mean, sometimes it's unfortunate to see yourself all the time, but it would have been a little helpful to me. But on the other hand, you know, I, I had a great career and I was really lucky to add it with him and been there. The time of, the timing of it was so extraordinary because a lot of this, I mean, different people will tell you that their time was the best. <laughs> you know, Maria told you, Maria told you, their time was the best. And, but I think our time, my, I mean, I danced from 63 to 79 and I, and all those years and the, the amount of ballets, you know, that he did mm -hmm. in, in those years, I think was the best time to be there. Yeah, the Stravinsky Festival. Oh, the Stravinsky Festival, you know, we I, I was original on Symphony and Free Movements, and also they brought back dances concertante for us. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, oh, the, best, the Stravinsky, it was just amazing. Is there a standout memory from the Stravinsky Festival time, preparing or during the performances? My standout memory of that was that, so I was in Symphony and Free Movements, and um, one of the five couples. And my very close friend, Susan Handel, we were solos together, he promoted us together, we shared a dressing room together. She passed away almost three years ago. And we were very close. And so, but it was one of those times where you didn't know what the other people were doing in the other room. Mm -hmm. So we were doing symphony and three movements and I, uh, I was not involved in violin or duo. And so Susie and I went out front for the premiere of duo. Mm -hmm. right? And we were just like, like, you know, we hadn't seen step. I mean, the beauty and the simplicity and just, and we ran backstage in Belgium saying, Mr. P, that was so beautiful. Oh my God. It was so beautiful. And he said, Really, dear? Did you really like it? I mean, completely. I mean, I, I'm sure I know he knew what he did. He liked what he did. Mm -hmm. He liked what that was the thing about him. He had to like what he saw in a dancer and in the ballet that he made. That's what was important. How it looks. You say that all the time. Let's see how it looks. Because why? It show business. Right. And but he was so humble, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He never called himself an artist, ever. You know, dance maker, a teacher. He said, I will be remembered as a teacher mostly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just 
this was his world. He had it, he had us, and he had could do what he wanted. And that's what made him happy. Yeah. So. I'm sure you have many, but is there a memory that whenever it crosses your mind, it just makes you smile about working with Dalshin? Whether it's funny or poignant. I, there's a couple of things. One time, one time, I didn't usually do this, but one time I, after I was promoted, and then I went to his office and I asked to learn something, which was Scotch Girl, I think. And he said, okay, dear, fine. And then, and then I said, and you know, now this, I mean, I didn't ask the, you know, moon and the stars or the lead or anything. But I, so I was always dancing um, the things that were bright and, you know, jump because I could jump well and that kind of role. And I guess I really um, <laughs> saw myself <laughs> being a little more romantic, dramatic, certain time. I just wanted to. So one time I said to him, and I know this isn't really what something you'd think of, but I'd love to do the last waltz in La Valse. So La Valse, the last waltz is, um, they're all part of this. I did the second one. And, but I wanted to do the one that was a little more of a part of the kind of thing. And he said, okay, we try. Okay. So I, um, so I did scotch and I did scotch for a long time. And then I did La Valse. I did one show and then I did another show. And then my game was crossed out of the casting like this because I, I, and I understood it's because it was a part he did, I guess, for Diana. Adam. It was a tall, it was always a taller girl part with longer legs than mine. And, but it makes me smile just because, oh, no, this is the thing that really makes me smile about it. I said, you know, Mr. B, so maybe just let me try and don't come to the theater that night. <laughs> and he laughed, that made him laugh. Uh -huh. And it makes me laugh just talking about it. Yeah. But he did come and crossed <laughs> up because it wasn't his vision mm -hmm. of how that part should look. Mm -hmm. So I, that does make me smile when I think about it. Could you tell us how you transitioned into your teaching career at SAB? Okay. Well, that is an interesting story. So at the end of my career, this was about, well, I think it was maybe not quite at the end, but somewhere around, I, I retired in 79, so maybe 77-ish, 78. Um, Mr. B came to me and he said, um, you know, I would like you to teach uh, at the school because at that time, Kay, Mazo, and Karn from Arlington were teaching, he had them in there teaching little kids. And I said, uh, and Karen, she couldn't do it. She had way too much to dance. And it was at five o'clock and she had to get ready for the show. So he said, I, I, would, I would like you, would you like to do that? And in my, you know, youthful ignorance, I said, and here's the thing, I had just, I had a bad back and that was my back, really bad back injury. I had just come back. And um, I was close to 30 at that time. And so I said, um, so I thought 
maybe he wanted me to retire and teach. Or, but the truth is, I said, because I had taught other times, I said, you know, Mr. B, I think that what I know and what I can teach better are older. I don't know that I can teach the little children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what was really important to him. And so he said, okay, that's fine, dear, that's fine. So I sort of, because I, and I said, no, I just got back and I really want to concentrate on dancing. But what I didn't realize at the time is that I think he was done with me uh, <laughs> dancing. I mean, not, you know, not done with me like, you know, you shouldn't quit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not like my career was going to get any better at that point. Because mm-hmm. I had been, you know, it, I'd been in the company since 63. Yeah. And this is, and you know, he was always, and I wasn't a principal, I was a soloist. The principals could be there longer. And so, anyway, that, so that was fine. That happened. And then, so in 79, like August, I decided probably, you know, they were going on tour. I wasn't asked to do anything. I decided probably I should stop. But, and I got pregnant. I've been with my husband for quite a while at that point. And so I got pregnant, and then I left. And then I did a, a lot of staging then, after I had my first child. And, uh, and then I worked with Peter Martins. He did. Mr. B got very sick. I think he went into the hospital 82 in the fall. And Pete, and we were, they were reviving On Your Toast with Natasha McCarver, which is a show he did in the 30s with um, Tamar G. That was mm-hmm. then white. So I did that, and then I staged ballets for the trust. Mm-hmm. I don't think they had the trust then, because Mr. Peter was, was, oh no, he was, he was gone by then, so they did have the trust. And, but eventually, you know, everybody thought that I should be teaching. And the funny thing was, is that the uh, Russians, who I love, Natasha Glebov became one of my closest friends. They didn't want me to, Peter wanted me to teach, and they didn't want me to teach because they said, you didn't want to teach little children. They were so furious at me because I had been a little child <laughs> and they weren't having it. And then finally, um, there was an opportunity, and Peter said, no, we have to, Susie has to teach, and Peter put me in here. So that was 86, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up back at the farm, so to speak, <laughs> or <laughs> full circle. Right. Totally full circle. Absolutely. So, I mean, the school, I mean, you know, there's nothing that's a bigger part of my life except my family. Mm-hmm. So we are now... 40 years after Valentin's passing, how do you bring him into the studio with you each day when you're with the students? Well, just the way I'm talking to you. You know, he's always in my mind when I'm talking about ballet or when I'm looking at ballet Mm -hmm. or talking about it or teaching. And I hear his, you know, I hear him in my head I hear him say the things, and then sometimes they say things, you know, and then I have my own analogies, which are kind of, because the humor, the hard work, plus a sense of fun is so necessary. Otherwise, it's just, you know, gruesome. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was so much 
fun to be in the room with him when he was making things. You know, and the technique. I mean, I know nothing else. And and not only do I know nothing else, but I do, I feel it is the most beautiful way to dance ballet ever. And, and some people, some people get it or like, you have to like it. So that's my job to make them understand why this looks better than this. And this is something, whether they dance here, there, or anywhere, they can take. You know, I used to say it's like a good black dress. You can take it anywhere, dress it up, and dress it classical, dress it, uh -huh. you know what I mean? But the beauty of it, and the way we move, and the way, and it's all about, I'm sure you've heard this before, you know, head, hands, arms, feet, shaping feet, plie, softness. It's it's, you know, entertainment. Yeah. And that's what you get. And you can see the people that have it a little more than other people. Mm -hmm. When you look, I think you probably could. So you're looking, you're in a studio, you're looking at students at a bar. What's one correction that comes out of your mouth every day that would have come every out day. of his mouth? Well, you see, no, it's different. It's it wouldn't different. have come out of his mouth because we all just, you know, I was in the company with these people, you know, I mean, all these ballerinas in the class, I mean, Allegra, I mean, Diana wasn't dancing when I, but Marie Tall, she was when I first got in. Diana had gotten pregnant, and, but, you know, but everybody worked that way, you know, and you see the famous picture of him with his heel forward and like mm -hmm. that. And we all did that. And we, we, we looked at him and did what he did. So it wasn't like he talked a lot. You know, the plie, heel forward. I mean, but it was all by example. Mm -hmm. He could show everything. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much, but for me and us who teach here, we have to talk about it. Because it's not, it's not normal. It's not like I said to the girls this morning. I said, I think whoever created us did not intend for us to be in fifth position. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's against all laws of nature. Mm -hmm. But you have to make the impossible possible. Otherwise, just people on the street could do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what makes it. And in addition to that, it has to look beautiful. It can't just be, you know, like a sports event. Oh, if you turned five times, who cares if it looks like it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a, it's like, I always say, it's like being a model and an athlete. Because you have to have the strength, but also the beauty on top of it. Mm -hmm. And so a correction I give them all the time is, you know, stand up, hold your hand, hold your arm. And, you know, if you, you know, if you start, if you just, Don used to say, you know, like, if you walk like this, like with your arms not swinging, <laughs> you dance like this. If you practice like this, you can, you have to practice the way you're going to dance. Yeah. People don't know about the heel forward, toe back, and the head bending, and the hand holding, and not, you know, they don't, so they come here to learn it. Yeah. And so we say it. In your opinion, what is the most important thing that Balanchine accomplished? 
oh, he changed the, he changed the way ballet looked. Totally. You know? Nobody, the reaching, the, the stretching, the reaching, the refinement, but the freedom, but not freedom, you know, I'm so free, but, you know, within the parameters, it's classical ballet taken so much further out, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, it also, the thing is, people say, oh, he only liked this type and that type, and that's not true. But this type and that type and that type all do the technique, and then it's them. It's like, again, I'll use the dress analogy. You know, the way we work, the way we move, it's like a beautiful dress, but anybody who puts it on, it's them in it. But you've got to be able to fit into the dress in the first place. If someone has never seen a Balanchine ballet Mm -hmm. before, what is the first one? They yeah. should see. Well, I don't, I don't and I'm sure everyone's answer to this would be different, but I'm just curious what you think. Oh, I, I, I might say something like four temperaments mm-hmm. to really get a sense of the scope. Of, because everybody knows oh, there's one leg and full lengths and this and that and the other thing. But something like that, and he was doing that from the beginning, yeah. see? So I, I might say four temperaments, actually. I like that answer. <laughs> uh, there have been a lot of books written about Balanchine. Um, if you've read them, mm-hmm. is there one that you would recommend as being the most true in tone? I, I would read the Taper book. Okay. Because uh, Bernard Taper had a relationship with Balanchine. It's firsthand. It's not like some this, somebody told me this. And so, I mean, the historical stuff, I think probably is fine in the books, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, people went to Russia, people, I, I haven't read Elizabeth Kendall's book. I, I hear it's very good in the historical yeah, part. Yeah, it's very, very dense in the research. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, to me, that's fa- that's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, up until I got in the company, like I, I love reading all the stuff that happened before the 60s. Mm-hmm. But I'm not interested in how somebody interprets, you know, what someone said to someone mm-hmm. and then he did this and he did that. I, I think it, it needs to be more uh, firsthand. And so Taper, I just reread it recently, parts of it. And I mean, Val, so he was going to write an article for the New Yorker about uh, Balanchine. And so Mr. B allowed him to come to rehearsals and he was in the rehearsals of Agon and when Stravinsky came in and he was there and Martha Swope, who I knew, her first picture she actually took, some of them were um, me and Paula Chanel posing, I have those. And um, so, but Taper was in there for those rehearsals and many rehearsals. So he saw Balanchine in his element with the dancers, with um, Stravinsky, mm-hmm. with, um, and he, he said that he had, there was, um, Davidovo was a good friend of Balanchine's, 
this woman and, and she would translate what Stravinsky and Brownsheen were saying to each other. And they all sat up front in that room. And um, I just think, um, you know, I, I know what I, I mean, I'm not that interested in what people think, why he behaved the way he behaved. How do they know, right? How do they know, you know? I wouldn't presume to know what makes anybody do what they do, let alone a genius, mm -hmm. you know? So I think if I would pick one, I would pick that one. The paper one. Mm -hmm. Okay. The last question I want to ask you is, so this, the title of the podcast is Immortal Icons of Dance and focusing on how people's legacy lives beyond their lifetime. Mm -hmm. Is there any last thing that you would like people to know that we haven't touched on about Valjean? Well, I do think that there, there are very few of us that are firsthand um, people mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And most, a lot of us that are firsthand people are very um, adamant about that it lives on. You know, Mr. B said, after me, it'll all be different. And, and, and a lot of it is. But I, I, I get upset when I see choreography changed, that he didn't change. He changed things for people. Oh, she had a bad name. And so then you can pick, if you're staging something, well, you can do the step before the person had a bad knee or, or something like that. But I get, I get really upset at tempos being wrong because that's everything, everything because the ballets have to be danced the way they were choreographed. It doesn't matter if the person who's dancing it can't dance that fast, then get another person. Because it, it, ruins, the, it ruins the painting. It's like going to the museum and slash blue paint all over Van Gogh or something. Mm -hmm. It's wrong because it was, to him, it was everything. The music was everything. And so, um, so that, so to really, People need to uh, pay attention to the, if you want to preserve the legacy. That, and also the other thing is, is that at our school, we, I say we, I mean the people that we have that um, work with Balanchin Kirsten, Suki Shore, Ken Ace, and myself, and Cheryl, uh, we have taught Lots of people that, uh, I mean, everybody. I've taught everybody in the company except a few people that came from foreign lands. Mm -hmm. And that now we have teachers that we taught, right? And they're here. And they studied, in addition, sometimes you go there, you forget, but they came back and they studied how we teach. And they teach like that. And nothing makes me happier that, you know, when we're not here anymore, that's going to go on because they are as adamant about it as I am. And I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to share it fun. all of your experiences. Was, I, I can't talk that much about anything else. <laughs> this is the one thing I kind of know about.
The Immortal Icons of Dance podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, Lauren Johnson. Our music is written by Shelby Rassler of Jenkins and Rassler, and technical support is generously provided by Libby Lessenhoff.